morning. I'm so excited to stand before you this morning. And I'm also so humbled because this is, for me, an amazing opportunity. But also, for me, it's quite a big day in my life. And the reason why it's such a big day in my life is because my beautiful wife this morning actually turned 40. So just... <laughs> She's the only reason I can stand up here this morning. And I love her dearly. And she is amazing, amazing, amazing. Beyond words that I can, can use to describe. Ah, this morning, I'd like to just give a personal testimony. And I really hope that some of you would be blessed. Um, when I envisioned what I'd like to see this morning happening has already happened. So I feel I can put down the mic and I can go sit down. I envisioned some people get touched the way I was touched. And I already saw that. So my work is already done. So now I can just relax, be in the house. So fortunately, this is a testimony. So it is quite easy, but in another way, it's quite hard. It's quite hard because it is quite personal. And when it is quite personal, sometimes a person do get a bit emotional when you're actually recalling how you felt in those situations. <clears throat> so I had to actually cut a lot out because there wasn't time. But if anyone wants to find out any more detail, please come. I'd love to share. And if you feel that can bless you, please invite me in um, to share a bit more. So I said I'm going to keep it quite simple, and so I'm going to give you the outline of what I'm going to do um, so that we can follow quite easily. Nope. Where shall I point this to? It's always a good check if it's on. I believe it's on. I've got faith that it will work. It's not working, so that's, that means my faith is not. Okay. I think just skip for me as I, as I go along. Um, I will go according to the headings. So I like to look at a parable that I kind of, I'll use as a backbone to describe my own experience. Then after that, I like to look at grace towards me. After that, you guessed it, grace towards others. And then finally, I like to do a conclusion. Okay, so we won't get lost. I won't get lost either. That's why I keep it quite simple. <laughs> so, let me look at the parable. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. If I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So first, the grace towards me is that it is undeserving. And just at uh, verse 13 that it said, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and beast, beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What happened to me when I came to grace was actually quite interesting. It wasn't by a teaching of someone else. Um, when I was at school and also after, I lost my way a bit. I still never not believed in God, but I definitely went astray. And one night in my folks' place was late at night. Um, I was in the lounge. They were sleeping, fast asleep, quite late at night. And just by myself, I came to the realization of just how lost I am, how lost I am in sin, and how I, I, I just, that one scripture just came to mind the whole time, um, and that is uh, Romans 7 verse 15, where it says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And that just rang so true for me there, and I just felt so bad that I'm saying, I, I don't know how to do this anymore. God, I love you, but I just keep on falling down, and I'm trying to do it right, and I just keep on falling down. And it was a struggle I had for a long period of my ta- uh, in time. And um, I just felt so, so tired, and just like such a heavy burden on me at that time that I just feel like I just can't carry it anymore. At that time, thinking about just how pitiful and how undeserving I am at that moment. I had a flash. A flash of a thing that I've done that I felt really guilty about. In my mind's eye, as clear as that. So, you know when you've got a picture and that picture just represents exactly what you have done wrong. I get that flash. As I got that flash, I saw a hand with a gable, gable, a, a judge's gable. And I just saw that slamming down. As I saw that slamming down, what I heard is just forgiven. That touched me so deeply. Because what happened straight after that is another flash came to mind of something that I did wrong. As if my own consciousness is trying to give up the excuses and the gable came down. The gable came down. Every single thing I've done in my past was highlighted that I felt guilty about. Every time that gable came down and said, forgiven. Forgiven. I ended up on the floor <laughs> in the fetal position, bawling my eyes out. And it took a long time to really realize what was happening. But God did that without 
without me doing anything, without me hearing a sermon. It was by myself. I, the grace message wasn't even preached back then, as it is today. Um, and I just thank God so much that, that he touched me uh, so deeply. I was quite grateful that my parents didn't wake up. That would have been quite awkward. Um, yeah, that's all in, also in God's grace. So yeah, so the next one that I was trying to say, it was not by my own works. I was justified. At that moment, it's not something I've done. It's not something I could feel good about myself, saying, yo, a whole six months went by, and I did not stumble. Hallelujah, now I can come close to God. That wasn't it. It was at the moment that I realized I can't keep on trying to do good. I can just accept what God has done. And that verse, it says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, not by his works. Next up, burden lifted. That is what I felt afterwards. The parable doesn't really show what happened to the tax collector after that. But what I really like about that picture is you can see that the tax collector there, you can see who's a tax collector and who's a Pharisee. The tax collector being the one being quite prone. And you can almost in that picture see that he carried a burden and he carries a burden by the way his arms are outstretched. And what I found straight afterwards is I felt extremely different. Something in me changed. I didn't feel like the same person anymore. A burden has been lifted. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. That's God being gentle and humble in heart. We heard this morning how great and how good God is. And it's interesting that God, who has no reason to be humble, <laughs> is humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I feel it's quite easy to identify ourselves. Who here identifies themselves at some times of their lives as a tax collector? Okay. Now, who here identifies themselves as a Pharisee? Okay, not so many. In this parable, it's, I think, quite easy to identify ourselves as a, as a tax collector, being the one that is humble. But interestingly enough, That was not the intended audience. This parable was actually meant for others, not for people identifying themselves as a tax collector. So the valuable thing we can get from it, and personal testimony of, of what happened to me, in verse 9 it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. That's what the parable, that's the audience the parable was intended to.
So can we put ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisee if we don't identify with him? And I think we can. Um, the first thing I'd just like to look at, why did Jesus choose a tax collector and a Pharisee? And if we look at what those two people were perceived as during that time, it actually makes a little bit more sense. A Pharisee would have been seen as the, of that knowledge of the day, they were the people who got it right. Those are the people in society who everyone could look up to, who everyone could compare themselves to, saying, that is how I want to be. That's my role model. So they are the role models of the day. Tax collector, doesn't sound so bad, does it? He just collects taxes. That's SARS. I don't have any ill will towards SARS or any employees from SARS. Taxes and taxes are used for good, for government, etc. So why is a tax collector being used? And quite interestingly enough, it actually almost lists like degrees of comparison. Oh, is that? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. <laughs> Easy, it's almost the worst of the worst. So, we just need to understand what the Pharisee saw in that person. At the same time, you would think, if a person prays, I thank God I'm not like those people. It sounds, we can quite easily think he's a little pompous man. But on the other hand, if I say, oh, and, and you hear my prayer saying, oh God, I, I just thank you that I'm not a drug addict. Jesus that would sound sincere. And I believe that prayer of that Pharisee was even sincere. He thanked God that he wasn't part of these different groups. So in that way, I can already identify a little bit as a Pharisee, saying, thank God that I'm not in that position. So to understand a little bit about why the tax collector is seen as such an evil person, is Israel has been under Roman rule. Now, that Roman rule was actually quite brutal. They severely punished those who didn't go along with the program. And that's how they kept the peace. And sometimes there would be minor little uprisings. And how do they quench little uprisings? They would go and show, I am boss. And how do they show, I am boss? They'll go towards that area. They'll round up people and kill them. It doesn't matter who caused the uprising. You don't try and just kill the people causing the uprising. No, what are you trying to do? You're trying to show, I've got the power, you don't. Anyone who squabbled, doesn't matter if you were part of uprising or not, I'm going to squash you. <laughs> and I'm going to squash you through fear, because see, I don't mind killing anyone. And that's a way that the Roman kept people under their thumb. Even those that were innocent, it didn't matter. And how they supported this Roman Empire is by imposing heavy taxes on the people. If they couldn't pay the taxes, what they would do is they will come for your property. They first take your property. If that is not enough, or you still can't pay your taxes, they'll come for your children. 
And what do they do with your children? They sell them off into slavery. So that's the Romans, but what about the tax collector? Now, what would happen is the Romans don't necessarily know the lay of the land. They don't understand the culture. They don't understand the people that well. It's very hard to manage. So what they would do is they would look for individuals within the community who is maybe not of such a lack of character, a little bit shady, not so patriotic. Those are the characters that they can employ. And what do they ask of these characters? To be the tax collectors. Now, these tax collectors being a little bit of a shady character to start off with in our community, or in their community, they would collect the taxes, but more often than not, they'll collect more taxes than what is necessary. That's a way that they can line their own pockets. Now, Rome didn't mind. As long as they got what is due to them, what they thought is due to them, for them it didn't matter that these tax collectors were exploiting their own people. The people being exploited couldn't even really do anything because the employers of these tax collectors were the very ones oppressing them. And what would happen is that tax collectors would ask too much, they can't pay, so it's their job to report the people who can't pay. So you can imagine them being the reason that children of the community are sold into slavery. Now that gives a little bit of a different perspective. Why is a tax collector being seen as such an evil person at that time? I'd like this even to bring it into a South African context. So, say a foreign nation or foreign group takes over South Africa. Now, that can be, can use imagination, it can be Zimbabwe coming over, it can be the Taliban coming over, it can be North Korea, it could be Russia. But say one of these foreign nations come and take over our country. It's a brutal nation and will round up and kill people who is in charge, and people who would like to do any kind of uprising. Now, imagine that nation coming to, into our communities and looking for people of shady character. Getting those people to do their bidding. Getting those people to, to collect the money on their behalf. And those people being so greedy that they take a lot more than what is due. So greedy, in fact, that they don't mind seeing children being sold into slavery into foreign nations, being taken from homes. How would we feel towards those people in our community doing it? Would we compare ourselves to that person and just say, sure, thank God that I'm not like that person? I think we can. And in that way, we can see ourselves as a Pharisee in this parable. So, the social evolution game. Can we just play that little clip? In a study done by Lisa Aspenwall and Shelley Taylor in 1993, it was found that downward social comparison may bolster self-evaluations and increase expectations of success among people with low self-esteem. 
Stan Morse and Kenneth Jurgen in 1970 showed that instead of an upward or downward comparison, similarity between two people enhances self-esteem. Bunk in 1990 found that both forms of social comparison are linked to negative and positive effects. Bandura and Jordan's study in 1991 grouped experts and beginners together to perform a furniture making task. While some participants who were compared to other workers declined in performance and self-perception, others had the reverse more positive effects, concluding an excellent and efficient motivation. Motivation and self-efficacy was increased or decreased through social comparison. So it's, whoops, I didn't see that coming. Uh, that is a little excerpt from a video for a psychology second year subject. And it is so normal in our thinking that we do compare, we play the social evaluation game whether we like it or not. We are compare ourselves to others constantly, all the time. A lot of people would say, when studying the subject, is that is what all our interactions are about, is comparing ourselves. The social evaluation game, we can't help but playing. So this game is played by everyone all the time. People see themselves in comparison to other people around them. Even groups uh, with different interests also play the comparison game with different groups. I belong to this group. And this group is maybe slightly better, I think, than that group. So then I feel a little bit superior because I partake in this group. This group gives me a little bit of life. Even, I think, in sports, that happens as well. We identify ourselves as one group, and we think this one group in sports is a little bit better than another group. A whole of society is built around the social evaluation game. So you might, for instance, think, no, I don't really, I, I don't compare. I see everyone the same. I don't know if that is easily possible. Say, for instance, at the end of the service now, before we go, or say even in the beginning of the service, say in the beginning of the service, someone walked through that door. A famous celebrity, say like Brad Pitt. Okay. You would maybe think, I bet you get more looks than most other people in this room. Won't be able to help yourself. Even if you could, in the back of your mind, you were like, don't look, don't look, don't look. You are treating him differently than you did another visitor walking in the door. You can't help but conform sometimes to the social evaluation game that society plays. If the president walk in, if anyone of different social statuses walks in, we would behave differently.
I was quite, the thing that shocked me a little bit to actually realize that it is a thing that, that happens all the time and that no one is immune to this, is there was a preacher that I like a lot and we, um, I don't want to give away who or what, so I'll talk a bit in, in, in vagaries. Um, but during, he was a very well-known person. And during his sermon, I just had such a strong encouragement word from God for him. That just burned. And I was like, I just really have to tell him. But at the same time, I realized that it's not going to be good to do that during the service. It's not going to help. I just need to wait. I know this is from God, and I just have to share it to him. So I waited, and I bided my time a bit. And afterwards, when I saw also no one else would be inconvenienced, and it's just a good time, I stood in the right circles until I was there. <laughs> and then I just said, you know, during the service, I just really had this amazing encouragement from you, from God. And the little bit of shock on his face, I was taken aback by. Because it was almost like, you, you, you want to encourage me? And that got confirmed straight afterwards. And to paraphrase a little bit what was said before I could share the word, was basically, who are you? And do you know who I am? And that took me back a bit, because this was not just anyone. This is someone very respected. That made me realize just how strong our comparisons are. Um, it, no one is immune to it, especially not me. I can't help but compare. Our grace is... Okay. I'm going, I thought I'm going to be a lot of time. looks like not so much. Because I want to give a little bit of time at the end uh, for ministry, if that is possible. So what is interesting for me, what Jesus was doing over 2,000 years ago, using this example, is he was also giving us a way out. A way out of the social game. Grace is given freely to all, regardless of your social status, regardless of what you've done. And since nothing that we can do can come close to the gift that was given to us, there is nothing to compare anymore. What do I mean by that? When there is one interesting little caveat in the social game, it's normally people who compare themselves constantly. For as you see in the clip there, they say for improvement, and also it's negative and positive. Negative in the case that I can be a little bit better, and uh, positive in terms of I'm the best. The problem is people will always have better and worse things than you. So there's always be that I'm a bit better or I can be better, a little bit of self-judgment or pride when playing it towards other human beings. But, normally within the social evaluation game, if someone is way above you in terms of status, they normally say that can sometimes have a very positive effect on the person playing the game. How so? It is because you can only have a positive direction in terms of being played. You can only strive to be like. It's not that you can 
and is also so far above that you're not judging yourself because of your peers around you, none of them compares to that awesome example. Now, Jesus is, we can't help but play the game. But the way out is to play the game properly. (laughs) The way out is to say, I'm not going to compare this way. Why? Because that comparison is nothing compared to this way. I compare, Jesus calls me to be like him. He doesn't call me to be like people out here. And in that way, Jesus has said, what is the value of those around? We've heard this morning during the time before and how Jesus called out um, the, the amazing power of the cross. The amazing value he sees in each one of you. And the way I can stop playing the game is to see the amazing value God has for each one of you when I look at you, for you to see others the way God sees them. In that way, there's no comparison anymore. Every time I want to compare, I'm comparing to this ultimate example. I'm comparing, I'm seeing you, not as the value of the things that you do, but the value of how God sees you. And that is the grace towards others. Okay, we need to run a little bit. So I'm just going to have a quick example as a conclusion, is that grace wants to restore you. Um, a lot of times I have thought, even after that example, I would feel like, hey, I'm doing great. And because of that, I would feel like I'm more in touch with God. And then, oh, I'm not doing so well anymore. And I just feel I'm not in touch. But what is interesting enough, I were to tell other people in a similar situation that God, (laughs) there's nothing between you and God. I think we should apply that to ourselves as well. We shouldn't see ourselves, we shouldn't compare ourselves and currently say, I'm not doing so well. We should see it how God sees us in every moment of our lives. Only then our outworkings will be different. Grace wants us to restore others. So, just a last viewpoint. I'm not going to get, but I think we got the gist of it. Is that this parable was for the Pharisee. And not just for the Pharisee to say, don't be so hoity-toity. It was for the Pharisee to look at the tax collector and have grace towards him. That is what the parable was about. And if there's one message I'd like to leave us this morning, it's that. We want to see other people as the grace that God has for them. We want to treat them as immeasurably valuable. So, I'd just like to end off with 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.
Wow, wasn't that an amazing word, guys? Well done, Hans. Very, very awesome. And I think we can definitely all stand. Hans, do you mind praying for us before you leave? Um, I think it's prudent that we all get Hans to pray what was on his heart. This comparison thing, the competitive spirit that people experience so often. The Bible even says we error because we compare ourselves to ourselves instead of looking at the ultimate example of who we are. And I think if we can walk away with that truth, it'd be really awesome. This morning you might be experiencing that I haven't experienced God's forgiveness like you have said this morning. And if that's you, this is for you. God wants to give you that clarity. He wants to give you that finality. He wants to lift the burden of your shoulders. Or maybe this morning, you can actually see now, wait, I can be like that Pharisee. I have judged others. I compare myself to others. And this morning, I'd like us just to turn towards God. Say, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for looking looking at others, getting my worth from something else than you. You are the ultimate comparison. To you, we look this morning. To you, we say, we love you, Lord. To you, we say, thank you for setting us free. Setting us free from comparison. Setting us free from this, this evil game we play with others around us. This game that we play that we compare ourselves. Thank you, God, for setting us free. And Lord, as we go from here this morning, let us know this is a journey. This is not just a stop. This is not a final destination. This is a journey that we are going on. A journey of discovery of how to not compare with each other. How to not judge one another. And how to look to you. How you are the primary. You are the only. You are the amazing. You are the center. I love you, Lord.